Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. Well, this would be Kim, and I'm Laurel, and our last name is Harvey. So Laurel and... Okay, don't say it out loud, but um, that's how you'll remember us for sure. (laughs) That's right. So uh, we, first off, thanks for having us. It's so great to be here, and it's so great to be in church. I missed it when we couldn't go to church, so uh, so great to be in God's house. Well, we pastored for 26 years in rural America, and one day my husband came home and he said, Laurel, I just feel like we're going to make a change. And I looked at him and I said, well, great. Let me know where you end up. Uh, Because I had no desire to be making a change. I loved our community. I loved my little church. I loved where we lived. I loved where my kids went to school. I didn't want to make a change. But you know how that is when you have one plan and then the Holy Spirit has a different plan? And the, oh, that goes on within you? But as I began to seek the Lord and as I began to submit my will to his will, the peace that comes over us and what an amazing journey the Lord has taken us on. How grateful I am that I was not stubborn and said no, what I would have missed out on. And so we resigned our church. We became Assembly of God U.S. missionaries. We itinerated like missionaries do, which I will say thank you, church, right here for being one of our supporting churches. And we moved our family from Northern California to Springfield, Missouri, where we were assigned to Convoy of Hope. Now, you're probably familiar with Convoy, the, the beautiful big red trucks from Speed the Light. And, uh, and our department specifically is called Rural Compassion. We work in small towns of America. If you were to look at the landmass of America, most of it is rural, but not very many people are talking about it. We know things about rural. We know that one in four children go to bed hungry in rural America. We know that it's 105% more probable that a child growing up in rural America will become involved in drugs, alcohol, and pornography than their counterpart in urban America. That means it's 105% more probable that a child growing up in Sedalia will become involved in drugs, alcohol, and pornography than their counterpart in Kansas City or St. Louis. Does that surprise you? Why do you think that is? Lack of activity. There's not very many options. You have your meth party on the north end, and you have a kegger party as you're leaving, and there's really no stoplights in between. But we think that this is the opportunity for the rural church to stand up and to plant their foot firmly on the ground and say, excuse me, that is not happening in my town. This is your town. This is the town that God has entrusted you with. This is the opportunity for the rural church to rise up and say, excuse me, we're going to be the beacon of hope. We are going to be the salt of the earth. We are the ones that are going to give options to our young people today. So how do we fit into all of that? We get to come alongside the rural church. We get to train. We get to encourage. 
and we get to resource. And so we're excited to share some of our story with you today, and I guess I'll turn it to you. All right, thank you. Well, we're just excited about serving the Lord ourselves. We, just, we, we are U.S. missionaries, which gives us this neat privilege to go to places where a lot of times people wouldn't go. Some of these, ba- there's churches and pastors up in, in these back roads and out into different places in rural America, and uh, they're sometimes become hopeless. They, they're like, we don't have much resources, we're not sure what to do now, and we get to come alongside them and encourage them, and we just love the idea that we get to be a part of watching God do something dynamic in rural America. What you guys have done around here, giving these, these food products out, I just talked to somebody after service, and you had more volunteers than you knew what to do with, you had people coming through, and they were weeping when they're receiving these things or they're realizing that and you're going to your schools, you're interacting with your police department, fire department, and you're making a big difference here. I mean, you become what we call the number one stakeholder of your community. And the, world, the, the world around us is looking to your church to see what we're supposed to do next. And uh, what, isn't that great to be a part of this church? This has got to be the best church in town. I mean, I, want, I love every, every church, but this has got to be the best part of your life is to be a part of this church. And when we miss church, we're missing the most, the most awesome institution on the planet. Whatever God has in mind, he wants you to be a, a part of this. Amen? So don't miss. <laughs> we want to fill these, these chairs because God wants to do something awesome. But you know you're really getting out there when you come across a sign like this. Absolutely nothing for the next 22 miles, right? That's out in the middle of Nevada. And as you're going across that road right there, you think to yourself, I've heard that there's the end of the earth. I believe we found it. You know, it's that bad. Okay. Uh, but there's some good pastors out there. And then we came from Northern California. We came to the Midwest and we discovered you Midwestern people name your small towns and funny names. Like who names the town this? Toadsuck? Really? Toadsuck. Downtown Toadsuck. What is that? All right. Well, that's Toadsuck, Arkansas. And now it makes sense, huh? Those crazy Arkansas folks down there. You just got to watch out for that. My wife was telling you we pastored in small rural places ourselves. And this one little town we went to, it didn't have a very big population. But we thought if we could just get out there and love on them and, and you know, do what they say at Bible school, preach and pray and make a difference, we thought we'd, we could really go somewhere. And as we were doing that, you know how sometimes when you have people in your congregation and they, you get to loving on them and for whatever reason they have to move on, it really hurts your heart. It really hurts when they move, leave your town, all right? Everything's going in the wrong direction. We thought, you know, we could try a little harder. I bet we could m- make a difference. We just got to work at it. And you know, you're in trouble when your wife leaves you, all right? It's really bad right there. That's Manawi, Nebraska. Uh, it's a l- little lady who runs a bar and grill out there. It's famous for that sign. And uh, she, she votes for herself every year to make sure she gets in as the next mayor. So she takes care of that and pretty good little deal. But uh, you Missourians aren't that far off. How, we went to this next church. How would you like to be the pastor of Tightwad Assembly of God? All right. Yeah, that's right next to Tightwad Bank. You got to start thinking about what your name and your towns around here. I'm telling you, that's right here in Missouri, northern Missouri. Praise the Lord. Well, we wanted, wanted to uh, get to 
talking to you this morning just about what it means to make a difference in your community. How can we individually have a part in what God wants to do to revive our community, to let them know there's a God who loves them? I want to talk about two virtues that the Bible talks about that we need to have in our own lives. Compassion and courage. We need to have both of those in our life. If you have compassion without courage, you probably won't get anything done. You probably hold back and not really, you might love a little bit, but you won't be able to do the things that God wants you to do. And if you have courage without compassion, you're probably going to run over somebody and not really have the kindness that we're supposed to have. So God wants us to have both. He wants us to have both the compassion and courage in our life. For thousands of kids in rural America, the school isn't a place of learning. The school becomes a shelter, a kitchen, a refuge from suffering. For, those, for these kids, hygiene needs go unmet. Meals are few and clothes rarely fit. They come to school distracted by hunger and limited by embarrassment. Their education is an afterthought to their survival. And it's for these kids... That our fam- and, and their families that are, we do what we do as real compassion. When a storm hits, when a jobs are hard to find, when poverty strikes, when loneliness and alienation become the new normal, when discouragement sets in, when your car breaks down, when your roof leaks, when your children struggle in school, is when you need someone to come along and show you some hope and a heart of compassion. And it's because of support like your church that we can answer the call, that we can make a difference. We can go in and train pastors and churches how to do what you guys are doing, how to love on your community and how to make a difference. And we can uh, address this forgotten and hopeless American crises that's happening in rural America right now. And God wants us to get outside these four walls. He wants us to get out beyond our, this place to express our Christianity. He wants us to take it to our world around us. And he's looking to each one of us. So I ask you this morning, what do you feel like God is calling you to? What's he, what's he putting on your heart today? What's he asking of you today? I'd like to refer you to this passage in John 17. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So when you become a Christian, God is beginning to separate you out. But he didn't ask, he's not separating you away from uh, what God wants to do in your life or through you. He's separating you to himself. But he's not calling us to be political or cultural isolationists where we pull away and we become just to ourselves where we, 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 we just, we, we don't want to be in connecting to those things, those issues. Or he didn't call us just to blend in where we, they can't identify if you're a Christian or not. God is calling us to make a difference. Our mission is to influence this world without being influenced. Can we do that? Is that possible? 
We're, our assignment is not easy, but the success of our assignment to affect this world is to affect the world without being manipulated by it. And how can you do that? How in the world can you do that? Well, I'd like you to refer to uh, Philippians 2, where it says this, In your relationships with one another, have this same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very, nat- very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. God is calling us to be like him, to be a servant. That's how we're going to make a difference. That's how we can address our world around us. We're not going to address it by political activism and make the difference that way. There's things we need to be a part of. We need to be involved. We need to influence our world. But he's asking you and I to take an approach that identifies with Christ to be a servant. Can you do that? So we have this unprecedented opportunity to take the gospel to every corner of this community. And what an awesome opportunity. But the enemy of our soul is working overtime to shame us to, that we might step out or step up and try to show the love of Christ. The devil would have nothing more than Christians to volunteer themselves to remove themselves from positions of influence. See, we're doing the devil's work for him if we just decide that we're not going to address the world with our Christianity. So I ask you again this morning, what's God calling you to? What's he putting on your heart? How's he tapping on your your door today? Whatever it is, it's going to take courage. God is calling us this morning to to have the courage because we're we're facing all kinds of trouble in our world. We see the hatred. We see the homelessness. We see the, this, just the challenges of people's lives, broken lives. Uh, and we see just the poverty and, and issues of our world. We see it in all throughout rural America. And I know it's happening around Sedalia. Let's take, for instance, poverty in rural America. For the poverty rate... For children living in rural America in 2004 was 2.6 million. In 2016, the child poverty rate has grown to a staggering 16 million. That tells us there's a crisis going on in rural America. That there's trouble in rural America. And who's talking about it? Who's 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 decided to do something about it is the government do we look that way do we look at local government do we look at uh you know uh activists do we does the school gonna fix it is education gonna fix it well those are have a they all have a part in it but where are we at see drugs alcohol and poverty have placed children and single mothers in an extremely vulnerable position over a quarter of a million of Children and youth are victimized and sexually exploited each year. 
For persistent child poverty in many rural communities constitute a crisis across America. Conditions in some rural communities rival conditions in developing nations. God is asking us this morning to get a burden for our community. He's placing these, these, these realities before us so we can see, what, what are you saying, God? What, what's my part in all of this? Child poverty rate in rural America has, has grown in such a way that God is uh, asking us, what can we do? And it's for these children that we need to act. It's because it's for these people that don't have a voice that we need to say something about how we can make a difference. Because see, God didn't create men and women and children to die in hunger. He didn't create little girls to be sexually exploited or sweet little boys to grow up and be diseased with alcohol and drugs. He's calling the church to declare value on people the enemy has devalued. Amen? So I take you to this next passage. When Jesus, he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It was happening in his day as well. He saw the victimization, he saw the poverty, he saw the brokenness. And Jesus, when he looked upon them and he said he had his compassion, this compassion is a word that actually in its original language is a blend of, of agitation and care. Jesus is agitated because they've been robbed of the truth. They've been robbed of the reality that there's a God who lo- loves them. And he had care because he wanted them to see it. That is what happened. Indignation is what took place in Jesus. He said, I, I, am, I want to see something happen. I want to see change. I want to see these people met with the truth. And today we have the opportunity to bring that to them. And I asked this morning, where is the... Christians holy anger where is our frustration and our uh, indignation what where are we not angry about 16,000 children who die every day of hunger are we not outraged by children uh, six million children a year being abused or do we not have tears for the thousands of teenagers who are committing suicide these days breaks our heart So what motivates you? What gets you going? What, what makes the difference? Many Christians like to keep their spirituality undefined. And so the world can't really discern what you really believe in. The lifestyles of Christians undermine public opinion about uh, who we are, what the church is, and what our message is all about. In other words... To non-believers, Christians act no different than anyone else. Therefore, Christians become self-centered and, and, uh, and not about others. So, is Christianity that way? Is that what we really are like? You know we're not. We, we love Jesus. 
He loves us. He's done a great work in our life. I love, the, to, I love coming in and worship like we experience today, his presence and his fulfillment. And I feel this sense of peace and overwhelming sense of goodness. I love that we get to worship like that. I feel like I'm under his care, but I cannot be just stay here in that place. I need to have some courage to go with me. So it's going to take courage. It's going to take courage to be used of God. We need to let this area of our life grow. We need to ask God to fulfill us with the Holy Spirit. We need to build our capacity to, to, to step up and to step out. We need to show God, show how we love God, that we believe Him. We have convictions in our life. We don't, we don't give in to the world's uh, lures, lures and uh, we, we just want to begin to serve Him and let it shine from our lives. Second Timothy says, for God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. So where is God calling us today? What's he want to do? How is he going to transform a people in a, in a, in a, a society? He wants to use us. He needs someone to live it out. Where is the living proof? It's you and I. We are the living proof that there is a God in heaven. And we take it from this place that we go live our lives in such a way. Every decision that we make, every activity that we do, we need to let it be something that glorifies him in our smile and the way we talk and the way we act. The way we're not the, we're not the people that are always complaining or always angry, always, always upset or always frustrated. Uh, that was the big compliment I heard about your church when people came through the line. There's such harmony. Nobody's cussing. Nobody's yelling. Nobody's mad. It seems like everyone working together. And I heard that as a testimony, as a witness for your church. What a great witness to your community. Hebrews 10.24 says this. Let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We need each other to encourage each other with areas of courage, don't we? And uh, this word spur is actually something that uh, a rancher or a farmer or somebody on a, uh, in agriculture would use as a, a poker. And so when they're trying to get those animals to go through the gate and they're, they're wandering around, they're not going in the right direction, they take that poker and give them one of these, ow, like that. And, uh, and they would kind of get heading in the right direction. And I was just suggesting the pastor get one of those and offer that, you know, when he, he has one, he has one. <laughs> get one of those little electric stingers when they come up behind you. I don't think you're going to give you one of those. And so that's, uh, that's my, my, uh, my thoughts for you today, pastor, to help you out there. But say, uh, I, we don't sometimes, we're not necessarily motivated by uh, just love, are we? We do something when we're angry and we're upset. We, we, it moves us. And I'm here today not just to love on you, but I'm here to make you mad, all right? I want you to realize that God is here to stir us up and get us to do something, get us to a place where we're going to make a difference for Him. 
And he's calling us out. He's calling us out. Courage is a capacity that allows us to take risks, make sacrifices. Martin Luther King Jr. says this regarding this. He says it's just dangerously unselfish. That's what this faith is that we have. It's this dangerous Christian faith is a dangerously unselfish. We're going to be used of God. Courage helps us to withstand and grow and uh, ongoing pain and suffering and isolation. It's courage courage that helps us get through things. God is calling us out to have courage in our life. I want to share a few kingdom principles with you this morning. You can take home with you. There is no such thing as secular employment for the unbeliever. Once we are born again, everything about us is redeemed for kingdom purposes. It's all spiritual. Everything in our life needs to be considered. It's all God's work in our life. It's all part of what he wants to accomplish. It's all personal and and spiritual. And then every believer is in full-time ministry. Only a few of us have sanctuaries. The, The rest have their pulpits in their area of expertise and favor. Wherever you're working, that's your pulpit, all right? You get to preach it and you get to say it. And then all believers should consider the vocation a call of God, right? We need to recognize that whatever you're doing, it's God's call. He's not just calling missionaries and pastors. He's calling you to your role, your, your business, your job, whatever your role is. Think of it as God's call in your life to be used of him where, where you are in, in that place. And let that become your, your ministry, your church, your place that you're going to work out your salvation and encourage others. And I want to, I'm going to ask Laurel to come and she's going to share some other encouraging thoughts this morning. So you might uh, say, or I've actually heard people say when we talk about, you know, giving out produce boxes or taking granola bars to the school, people will say, you know, Laurel, that is such a social gospel. And my response would be, well, if it is, I'm in. Because, see, for me, it's personal. My dad comes from a very dysfunctional home. There was divorce, and then there was remarriage, and there were step moms and dads, and then there was alcohol addiction, and then there was severe domestic violence. I'm convinced that if that home was in today's society, the children would have been taken out of the home. That's how how bad the domestic violence was. And uh, there was a couple that moved next door to my dad, and they would invite him and his siblings to Sunday school. So I said, Dad, is that how you came to know Jesus? And he said, well, kind of, but not really. What, what happened was that they used to invite us to Sunday school, and if we were up, Mom would send us. But if not, not so much. But, but they would have us come over to their house, and we'd go over, and the mom, she'd make food for us, and she'd tell us stories about Jesus. The dad would be home, and he'd play games with us, and he didn't yell. And they would leave their back door open so that when things were scary at home, there was a place that they could go for safety. And week after week, they would make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. They'd play games with, I'm sure, not very well-behaved children. And they'd leave their back door open. And the next week, they'd make peanut butter and jelly and play games and 
leave their back door open, and then the next week they'd make peanut butter and jelly and play games, and the next week and the next week and the next week, week after week, they'd make peanut butter and jelly, play games with unbehaved children, and leave their back door open. And then one day they moved away, and there was no one to make peanut butter and jelly anymore. When my dad was 15 years old, things were so difficult in the home that he made his plan on how he was going to permanently take care of his stepdad so that he would not raise a hand to he or his mother again. My grandmother caught wind of that and said, Stan, you, no, we can't be doing that. And he said, Mom, I can't live like this any longer. And she said, well, do you remember those people that used to live next door and they would take you to Sunday school? Yeah, I remember them. Do you remember where that was? Maybe we could go there and they could help us. So the next Sunday, my dad and my grandmother went to Bethel Assembly of God Church in Modesto, California, and they gave their life to Jesus. Eight years ago, my dad stood on a district council floor, which is where ministers from a district come together. They have special meetings and and services. And my dad was honored for 50 years as an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God. My brother was a world missionary, uh, re, uh, was ordained that year, and he has built a Bible school or a church in 67 countries of the world. My sister and her husband received their license. My uh, mom received her license, of which we told her she'd been preaching at us for a long time, about time she had a license for it. My daughter received her license, and I received my license. There were seven of us that stood on a platform and were honored as Assembly of God ministers because of a little couple who made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, played games with kids, and left their back door open. See, they'd learned a really valuable lesson. They had learned that Christ had called us to serve. And if we look at serving, what we need to understand is that true service is with no strings attached. We often serve, but we have our agenda on what we want to have happen. How many times did I, as a pastor's wife, we'd do some big thing on Saturday, and on Sunday I couldn't wait to get there to see who came to church from it, and then I got there and they didn't come, and I got a little mad at them. See, that was because I served with an agenda. But this couple, they learned to serve with no agenda, and if we can get that right... Because, see, true service with no agenda is actually an act of worship unto the Lord. And when we worship unto the Lord, that's when he does his best work. Peanut butter and jelly, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Produce boxes, is that really spiritual? But if we do it as an act of worship unto the Lord, then he can do something amazing. How grateful I am that they learned to serve with no strings attached. Because, see, the really important part of this story is that this side of heaven, that couple will never know the impact they had on my life. Where is God asking you to serve today? Hey, Pastor Chris, I just learned what you put that up there for. You told me that, but I didn't pick up on it. That's cool. Got the little piece up here. I didn't have to look down all the time. Man, this is a cool church. They got the cool stuff. Well, praise the Lord. Isn't that true? What God, what Laurel said about where we are with uh, 
with service, you know, we, we need to be that. We need to be called to, and recognize that God is calling us to be servants and true servants, which we do that with just unconditional. It's just that, that dangerous, uh, 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 that dangerous place of just giving ourselves away. And so God is calling us that we are to, to be present you are to be the presence of God. We are to be used of Him and to let Him be seen through us. And He's calling us to prayer. We need to be praying for not just those that we agree with, but pray for everyone around us. Pray for your city. Pray for the leaders. Pray for your, the, 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 the people that are on the other side of politics that you may not agree with. Pray for your government leaders, economical, economic leaders, your political leaders. We need to pray for them by name. We need to get to know our community and really pray for them in that way. And then we need to be people uh, that are practicing. We are called to practice we are called to be, to live it out, that ministry of mercy, that we are to seek, the, seek the, to serve the poor, to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit the prisoner. That's what God is calling us to do, isn't he? And then the hard part, we need to be people of proclamation. We are called to say it. We need to speak up. We need to be that prophetic voice, a proclaiming voice, the truth that let people know that there is the model of which we can live by is laid out in Scripture, and we can live that out in our personal lives. I was doing a personal study on a teenage pregnancy in rural America, and one of the things they realized that the per, one group that has the credibility to stop all of that is the church. All the other groups out there that may be trying to offer some kind of help, they're not offering the kind of help that we can offer. And we still have the credibility. Let's say that uh, we sometimes think, well, the church isn't being all that effective. We aren't being all that strong in our culture. We're too quiet in the corners over here on these little, we're a little frumpy little church on the side of town, but we're not. God is called to recognize who we are. We need to be not only doing what we're doing now with the school, we need to do more. We need to get involved. We need to touch the lives of people. And we, we, can, we can change the course of people's lives by us speaking up and stepping out. Today, we are just wanting to just see God do amazing things through your church and let God use each one of you. I want to pray over you this morning. I believe God is calling each and every one. He's tapping on all of our hearts today. He's asking something of you. And I want to ask God to, that he would speak to you personally this morning. Jesus, I just thank you that we have this amazing privilege to be favored by God. We get the privilege of knowing you and be, uh, be the children of God. We get these privileges, Lord, that we, we get to uh, break from the chains that held us back. And God, we are able to move into the things of God, this, this whole heritage of Christianity, Lord, that you have laid for, uh, brought to us, Lord. We are so excited today, yet, Lord, you want us to be under 
understand what our calling is today. That we would be people of prayer, people of presence, Lord. We, we, we would, Lord, practice and let people know what it's all about and we would say it, Lord. Give us the courage to speak out and speak up. Lord, give us the, help us to have your word in our hearts so that we can repeat it and and explain it and and proclamate it god we just praise you lord god this morning i pray over each person in jesus name amen